RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. On Sunday, the Labor Party, in an effort to garner support, announced a policy along the lines of free dental care for New Zealanders up to the age of 30. Now, let me say, I've always wondered why the mouth and the body weren't part of the same thing in terms of what was covered by taxes and and what you had to pay privately. The mouth seemed to be in a world of its own. So I've always thought that that, that's been a problem. Marie Busky is going to join me now because I want to try and understand, we all do, whether this policy has anything going for it, if it's in the real world at all, and what is the problem they're trying to address? And Marie's has experience in running medical business, so she can sort of give us an insight into this. Marie Busky, welcome to RCR Breakfast. Nice to have you here. Yeah, great. Really great to be with you, Paul. Good morning. Okay, so he just threw it out there, mm-hmm. didn't he? I mean, yeah. boom. Could have yeah. said it every year for the last 20 years, going back 20 years. I think Jim Anderton was a fan of that back in the Alliance days. So this is just barefaced electioneering, right? Oh, desperation electioneering. Desperation electioneering, especially since the Greens had already announced a more comprehensive version of this. This is just essentially a watered-down version of what the Greens were putting out there. But they, this is the smell. There is a whiff now, a stench, a fetid stench of a party that is desperate to do anything to try and either maintain the leaking votes that are disappearing at a rapid rate of knots, or maybe potentially pick up one or two of those who believe that, you know, dental is the one number one issue that they're going to vote on this election. But either way you slice it, it is really desperation politics. It's for yeah. sure from him. Trying to imagine the decision process that came up with the launch of that when there's all any number of things that um, weighing on people's minds right now. They came up with that. Yeah, well, if it's from a health perspective, I look at it from a sense that I believe that they suffer from the political version of um, Munchausen's by proxy, which is whereby you injure, danger, or hurt other things in order to come along and rescue them and and, and look after them. And I believe that this is what this government Problem, reaction, from. solution. Yeah, very much so. And you look at the, I mean, the paper is festooned with stories of our failing health system. Mm. We already have socialised dental care in this country up to 18 years old. That is failing. So so, how are, so failing in terms of not producing better oral health that's measurable. Is that is that what we mean by failing? Well, I would say so, because if they're having to go to the extent of taking away citizen's choice by fluoridating water, for example. Yeah. I mean, you're only doing that in order to maintain protection, but you're doing that because it's already not working. If but even that's health- not that's not working. So that's cancelled oh. out as well. So mm. that mass medication should be stopped immediately because it's clearly not working up to the age of 30. Why do you think they drew a line at 30? Oh, I mean, plenty of I, older people have trouble with their teeth, you know. Yeah, I think it's because that's when things start going wrong. Or is that the the voter um, demographic that they perceive they can move the most? That's actually a really interesting um, question. I wonder whether they're doing it potentially to maybe pull pull some voter some votes back from the Greens. But I mean, ultimately, or do they have older voters with children 
who are suffering and they believe that by appealing to them that's going to be a good thing. But Could the reality, it, this is honestly a hospital pass if I ever saw one, excuse the pun. It is. So the Greens, I think, were offering universal dental care funded mm-hmm. by a wealth tax. Was yeah. that their concept? So they, even though you might want to debate wealth tax, et cetera, they had a a way of funding it that they had um, put with but that he, policy. Here's the thing about the health system, Paul. You can have all the money in the world, but if the system, the culture, and the people are broken, you're not going to achieve anything. So they're broken? Yeah. I believe those people are broken. I believe there's a, short, there's a massive shortage of people. We know that they've broken people through mandates. We have lost some of the greatest minds in our medical area through those mandates, and the division that is created within that medical environment is completely destroyed. You've got um, the senior doctors striking, uh, and senior doctors and dentists, first time ever in history doing that. I mean, that's unprecedented. What are they striking for? Well, <laughs> once I spoke, no, we'll see, this is just it. The media will say money and pay, and of course the union will always go for pay. The ones that I've spoken to around this have, it's more conditions than pay. It's right. about the fact that they're not being listened to. They haven't been uh, had their concerns met. They're not having issues addressed. And so you have all of those issues going on in that senior system. These guys and, and, and women in that system are not getting to see patients. They're seeing patients die on their watch because the system is broken. And no but clinician wants to see that happen. You may, you may or may not not know the answer to this, but who are they battling with? An administrative class? or a senior medical class, or a mixture of both, bureaucrats, even above hospital level in the Ministry of Health? Who are the enemy for them, do you think? You've got to remember that doctors are the minority in this behemoth now. So it is very much, we talk about the, the sort of that public service class in Wellington, you know, that Wellington bubble of all those public servants that that live uh, that work and live in that environment. Medicine is very much the same. And you've got this administrative class of hospital managers that uh, work within what was the DHB structure and is now Te Whatu Ora. And they all have different roles and they have these little fiefdoms and how they run things. The doctors now, the power that the doctors hold in terms of the process and the overall outcomes is very, very little. And and it's waned dramatically. I mean, in the 20-odd years that um, Mr. Marie and I have been in this sort of space, mm-hmm. I, we've seen a massive eroding uh, for senior doctors. And they are frustrated because ultimately, at the end of the day, that public perception that they're like, oh, they're rich rich old fat cats and they can afford mm. to do this and, and do that. Actually, you know what? They're just everyday people like anyone else that are going to work and have got massive workloads and mortgages and trying to get kids through school. And they're just trying to do everything like everyone else. And a young consultant now so senior medical consultant, I mean, most of them have gone through 13 to 15 years training minimum with, you know, the attached uh, student debt yep. attendant. A couple of hundred K probably. So you've got really a, a sizable house mortgage yep. of debt to service in your working career in an environment that is – a pr- absolute powder keg and pressure keg, and you know you're expected to perform and 
in the supposed world-class health system and you're often told what to do by management. And honestly, this Well, no, you're dealing with a hierarchy above you that is prepared mm. to send you out the door the first moment they don't like anything about you, i.e. choosing to not take a particular thing. They were happy to throw even the most experienced person right under the bus. So it can't be any surprise to them whatsoever that they have this problem with their management. Oh, abs- no, absolutely not. And the, in a number of them, and again, see, this is with when it came to the COVID measures, I know many that were terrified to speak out at that time because they saw what were happening to the ones that did make a stand. But also, too, they've seen um, their colleagues treated poorly even prior to that. So the power yeah. that these senior managers wield against these consultants is massive. And there are so getting back to the dental as a prime example, yeah. right? As a prime example, um, the facility that I ran, we had a dental contract with the DHB at the time to cover pediatric dental and mental health dental. So what that was What's mental health dental? So you've got a lot of people with mental health conditions that can't sit in a chair, they have phobias, they have oh, I, uh, I inabilities yep. uh, or illnesses or physical uh, disabilities as well as mental disabilities that mean that in order to have even just a basic dental examination, they need to be under general anaesthesia. So we had a, a contract to have those patients uh, seen at our facility. We had a small uh, theatre and they would come in and the hospital would bring in their dentist and anaesthetist. We had a support team there and all of those patients would be seen. They had the facility for the day and it worked beautifully and they were able to go through at their own time and pace. They didn't have the pressure of the uh, other theatre teams wanting to put pressure on them in the public system so they could take the time required for these highly difficult patients and a lot of them were children who needed full clearances uh it was pretty intense so we had that contract and it was ticking along beautifully everything was great and then the contract ended in december 2021 that contract has only just been picked up in the last couple of months why why all that time because there is no desire to do it elsewhere they don't have the capacity or the desire to do it within the normal um, public framework and the two other facilities able um, to do it don't want to do it because dealing with the DHB is a is often a fool's errand and they have high costs attendant to running their facilities so therefore they needed to um, it, it just wasn't cost competitive for them to so, be able so to just do stop, it. You just stop doing it for a few years. Yeah. Okay. All right. That much. helps uh, people. Okay. So the argument. Um, uh, for people who who like this, uh, the sound of this policy is that, um, yeah, this is what should happen. And uh, I guess, uh, you know, the government would have to negotiate some sort of deal with dentists because they don't have enough of their own, do they? So they'll have to uh, negotiate deals with dentists. And I'm picking that um, that's where the, the rubber obviously really hits the road. Yeah. Uh, um, the cost structure for dentists is perceived well, I don't think people understand it too well, probably. No. Dentists are seen to be, you know, doing quite well, right? Okay, and people go to the dentist and, you know, last time I got the root canal done, it was like 900 bucks, okay? And that was probably, it could have been more if it was more complicated. So, you know, people have got all that on board. So, you know, the government would have to remunerate dentists to the level of what they could earn in the everyday market 
for them to find enough capacity to even implement a policy. Well, they don't. Like they don't even do that now. So with the under 18s, you've got up until so the primary and intermediate age tend to get seen at school. So they either have these community dental hubs uh, at, at a school and that will cover a certain area or region. And then they have the dental buses that often will go around and visit these kids. Each time the bus visit, it doesn't get through, it often doesn't get through all the kids. So theoretically, every child in New Zealand should have, if the system was working, should have a dental consultation once a year. Right. I can tell you that they do not. Okay, already. Lucky. Okay. Already. So if they're lucky, they might get one every couple of years. Once they leave, uh, they turn 13 and they enter into the high school system, they, from 13 to 18, they then move into community dental care. So that's your independent dentist. Now, I have a couple, several sources, and the general rule of thumb for a number of them is that they will see the children of their own patients. Right? So that makes sense because those children yep. then themselves will become patients of that practice. But what happens if the parents themselves aren't regular dental goers, Paul? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, the kid turns up on their own or something and makes their well, this, own relationship is, with it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, they will get assigned right. out. So what often will happen is that they, they will have lists of these kids that get assigned out to dental practices. Yep. And a number of the practices will take the kids that are um, the, the children of their patients. Yep. Familial but, relationship sort of exactly. chain there. Yeah, But there are more kids and not enough dentists. Okay, so this can never fly. No, the way they're so putting how it out. on earth they can do 18 to 30-year-olds and believe that they even have a tinker's toss of making this work? It's pie-in-the-sky stuff, Paul. Well, well that's because they know they'll never have to do it. Exactly. And that's why the detail around this is not there. And Hipkins can stand up with his chirpy little smile um, and look as elfin as he likes and sort of say that this is you know a great thing. And they can all sort of clap there like a pack of dancing seals thinking it's wonderful. But ultimately, it, it all it is is a show. Yeah. Um, how have the media been picking up on this story? Have you, what have you noticed? And and if so, what are they? Well, what's the framing of it? Uh, the framing of it is, to be fair, most commenta- most commentators are seeing straight through it. They yeah. they know that the detail isn't there. They know that the costing isn't there. They know, as jaded as the media are, there are some things that they draw a line and they go, actually, you know. If it looks like a turd, smells like a turd, it's a turd, and they know that this one's it, a turd. Is it in the same category as no GST on fresh fresh and frozen fruit and vegetables? Again, just you throw it out there, but uh, then you've got to decide decide if there's that bit of fruit in that mix that's suddenly now not uh, you know fresh and all these weird sort of nuances. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think they can smell the blood in the water. They know that they're not going to get and they know that they've run out of ideas they also know that they've got no money you know with a deficit sitting at 194 billion and six million dollars in interest payments per annum which is oh funnily enough you know not that far off what we're paying in a health system each year or whatever the number is but yeah. they know they they know this and I think they're just getting to a point that labor have to go out there and say something to their people but then again the other thing that everyone has to remember is that at the end of the day, Labor, they may as well be standing up and reading fairy stories because 
look at what they have put through under urgency in the House, especially at the back end of this term that was not campaigned upon in 2020. Think Hayek Wakanoa, think um, the wider Three Waters and everything in the Heipuapua report. We didn't hear a whiff of that in 2020. Yeah, not, not, not a sausage. Not a sausage. As that was coming together. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, they've done GST of fresh fruit and vegetables. They've done dental care now uh, to 30-year-olds. Boy, what's next? <laughs> Any idea? Oh. to speculate? Well, no. No, Paul. They're going to trim. They're going to trim $4 million out of the state services budget because, you know, they're going to be fiscally responsible about what they All spend in the public service. But let I reiterate again, the annual interest bill on the yep. $194 million deficit is $6 billion, and they're looking at trimming for, they're not even covering the interest bill for Paul. And how long, do you, how long, Marie, do you give the health system as it is before it really creaks and groans and sort of splutters to some kind of, I don't know, it will barely depend, moving? Barely moving state. It will depend on how bold a new government is prepared to be. And he may be bald, but I don't think he's bold, Christopher Luxon. And I would have to see something, you would need to see something really big from him to make that happen. And they've got to get the culture back there. At the moment, you have got a system which is, you know, for a large portion of people, is full of really, really good people who feel under siege by what they're doing. And yes, whilst there are some that went along with things that I believe that they shouldn't, they're not the majority there by any stretch of the imagination. And the rest of them are literally under a cloud of censure and threat and any condescension, any, if you put even a whisker out of line at work or with your body, yeah, yeah, and, it, and it, it's on so many issues now. It's not just COVID. It's not just vaccination. It's ideological issues. Like Isn't it ironic, COVID. Marie, that oh. in the sector that requires the caring, the understanding, the time, the consideration, the mercy, all these things is like this? Mm. Yep. It was under strain before Labor came into government and Labor had literally killed and gutted it. Marie Buskey, thanks for coming on the program. You're welcome. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.